Not too long ago, I was laying in bed at night, scrolling on my iPhone, and found a quote from an unknown source that said, Being a mother is not about what you gave up to have a child, but what you've gained from having one. I went to keep scrolling, per usual, but couldn't. I felt a silent connection to this quote, so I put my phone down, stared up into my dark room, pondering my fixation. Later, the connection hit me like a ton of bricks, but I drifted off to sleep before I could interact with that revelation. Hi everyone, I'm Smeek. I'm not yet a mother, but I hope to be one day. Most moms I know describe the bond between mother and child as joyous and happy. You know, the bond of a lifetime. But this isn't always the case. Some describe it as turbulent and trying, especially the bond between mother and daughter. This episode explores a fractured relationship and 13-year-long warlike power struggle between a mother and her firstborn daughter, stemming from years of poor communication and over-disciplining. You'll meet Shakima, a no-nonsense, God-fearing black woman raised in the rural South by her grandparents. She is also a divorced mother of four, YouTube influencer, and a teacher with a unique approach to discipline that I've been curious about in my research. Her approach to discipline illuminates the power of banter to connect human beings. Banter releases the pressure. Deeply understand ourselves. God gentle my spirit. God gentle my spirit. God gentle my spirit. Despite warlike damage and destruction resulting from physical and deep-seated generational trauma. That is how it was, just chaos. Her approach to discipline didn't start in her classroom. It started a little closer to home. I invite you to settle in for the full episode, filled with twists, turns, and bombshells. I promise we'll get to banter, but there's just a little more texture I need you to understand. So travel with me to a small rural town called Beargrass, North Carolina, on a sunny afternoon to a single-wide trailer of her grandparents' house when a 13-year-old Shakima was standing in the second of three bedrooms with a positive pregnancy test in hand, only to be discovered by her aunt who felt it necessary that Shakima's mama know immediately before Shakima ever got a minute to process what was happening to her. That is how it was, just chaos. It's like a snowball going down the hill that gains momentum and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it causes the avalanche and the whole mountain caves my grandmother's upset. My mother's arguing. Everybody's yelling and screaming and cussing and fighting. And this is all happening in one moment. And you're feeling like your world is just slipping away and you still have to keep going to to even be able to survive. Because now it's not about you. Now it's about you in this life in your belly. A 13-year-old eighth grade girl impregnated by her 23-year-old first cousin now tasked with the responsibility of birthing and raising another life. A situation of this magnitude absolutely has lasting impacts in the life of a young adolescent Black girl. You are the spotlight of all the things that had been going on in the family, but nobody ever talked about. And all of this had been going on for generations in our family. And it didn't stop until the pregnancy came out. But then 
when you find out that it's not somebody outside of the house, but it's in the house. And now you got to deal with the demons that nobody wants to deal with. And you're made the bad girl. And you're called a seductress at 10 years old. You don't even know what that word means. And you're told it's your fault because you should have said something. And then the family is torn apart because now they have to choose between you and the person who's been doing this to multiple people. But you're the person who got pregnant and kept the baby. We don't know what happened to anybody else. The first thought was you're not having this baby. There were no long-term abortions back then. You just had to have it. And everybody knows, because in a family like ours, nothing is secret. And then you have where you go down to the health department. And years later, somebody says, I saw you. I remember you coming in the health department. You had those two pigtails in your in your hair. You're ashamed and you're embarrassed. As you have to go to school and you're the only the only person that this is happening to is feel by yourself, just all alone. And you never can live it down because you have the permanent reminder that this is now your life. Because I couldn't give away my child, no matter how she got here. I just couldn't. She decided against abortion. That's pretty obvious. But what's less obvious is that her child is currently narrating this episode. That's right. Her name is Shakima Wilson, y'all. And that's my mama. She was born in 1976, and I was born in 1990. There are exactly 14 years, one month, and 18 days between us. Despite the closeness of our age, we weren't close growing up. Our relationship was that of a war between two staunchly opposed parties. Think oil and water. The power of a mother's love was enough to save my life, but the bond between mother and daughter did not take root. My mama describes that exact moment, which happened in the bathroom of Martin General Hospital about a week after I was born. I had seen the nurse give you a bath and wash your hair. So I went in the bathroom to do the thing. My mother comes in the bathroom and immediately looks at me and says, you're going to kill that baby. And that immediately severed the mother-daughter bond. I wasn't allowed to hold, rock, shake, kiss. I couldn't do anything except provide need. Circumstances caused her to grow up quickly. She got emancipated at 15, finished high school, graduated with her teaching degree, moved to her own apartment, all while still providing needs for her growing child. But providing needs still didn't include providing the need for healthy communication. There was no communication. It was like drill sergeant private. I give a command, do what I said. Go! And get it done yesterday. Move, 
Why are you not moving quick enough? Everything about me was so militaristic, so authoritarian. There was no wiggle room. There's no grace for mistakes. There are no mistakes to be made. And if we make them, you're going to pay for them because I'm going to tell you about every single one of them. I had to have the perfect little kid. You're going to be great because I said so. This unhealthy communication style between us was like that of a detonator to a landmine. I'd move incorrectly. Landmine. Detonation. Explosion. I'd voice my opinion. Landmine. Detonation. Explosion. I'd take a breath too deep. Landmine. Detonation. Explosion. And at the time, my mama could read my thoughts. So I'd silently think to myself incorrectly. And yet again, landmine. Detonation. And explosion. Stuck in a vicious cycle. But I'd grown tired of the bruises and the shrapnel wounds and the expectation to be obedient without rebuttal. At 12 years old, I prepped myself for battle and exercised my power through civil disobedience and outright rebellion. And in my black household, this was a live death wish since timeout in peace corners was not the currency. We got straight up corporal punishment, but I wasn't going out like no punk. I decided I'ma be contrary no matter the consequences. That was the coping mechanism. I'm not going to be who my mom wants me to be because she's treated me some type of a way. My rebellion landed me whooping after whooping with real tears, welts, and a whole lot of pain until I realized that my tears gave her power. So I changed my strategy plan. Standing at five foot two, I stared into the bathroom mirror at the pair of brown eyes staring back at me and resolved within myself never to shed another tear. My last beating was at 15, and it included closed fists on my back, yanking my braided ponytail and a piece of my hair laying next to me in the hallway. As I vowed, I kept my tears inside, and I didn't give her the satisfaction of knowing she'd hurt me. At 15, I'd followed in her footsteps and emotionally emancipated myself from a place that continually hurt me. We stayed stuck in this cycle for the next decade. Even as an adult, my mama felt entitled to an opinion, despite her infamous quote, when you live in my house, you live by my rules, but when you live at your house, you can do whatever you want. So here I was, adulting, and my mama still running that lip. She couldn't take the fact that I was thinking of moving for myself, and she for didn't like me outwardly challenging her authority. But after 13 very long years, there came a point of ceasefire when I turned 25. Our broken communication style changed due to my mama's introspection. I had to do a lot of tearing down of how I was raised, the things that happened to me. And then I had to make a decision. And the decision was... Nobody from this moment forward gets to dictate how I respond, how I behave, how I act, how I respond to people. I want it to be kind. I want it to be loving. I want it to be gentle. It's probably been about 20 years now that I've been praying, God gentle my spirit, God gentle my spirit, God gentle my spirit. And so I took my power back. Iyana Van Zandt 
shared a quote about motherhood that said, We don't come with a manual. It is all instinctual. The mother bear hovers over the pups, and in that process, sometimes we lose ourselves. Again, I'm not a mother, but I know motherhood doesn't come with a manual. And especially at 14 years old, she was navigating black girlhood and black womanhood simultaneously. My mother had lost her way. That's true. But she was willing to do the work to fix her shortcomings, and I had to forgive her for who she'd been to me. This led us to co-create two questions that would act as a communication treaty between two former enemies. When either of us was about to drop big news, we calmly asked, is this for information only or do you want an opinion? Information only means that no matter the gravity of the news dropped by the other, nobody gets to comment. The end, period. The opinion option meant, bet you finna get all this opinion. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't all smooth sailing. There were a few misfires. But the true test came when I called her from Greensboro, North Carolina, to tell her that I wasn't going to church no more. So I worked up my nerve, and I told her. And to my surprise, she abided by the code of conduct. It was a monumental moment that led to building trust between us. That in the past would have taken me to Cruella DeVille, where I was going to come out and defend my belief system, my way of life. This was no longer me trying to stuff my belief system down a throat. I was softer. I was calm and gentle. And after the conversation ended, I remember getting a text message saying, wow, mom, that was different. For the first time, I felt heard and seen. And I was like, oh, score one for mom. You see, war is no fun. And those that are typically injured the most by the war had nothing to do with the start of the war. Take me and my mom, for example. My mother inherited a war when she was a 13-year-old girl, which passed down to me. But together, we let go of the past, focused our attention to damage control, familial reconstruction, and reclaiming what had been lost in our family, love, joy, and connection. Eventually, our communication treaty evolved into banter. Oxford Languages defines banter as the friendly and playful exchange of teasing remarks. Luckily, my mama is also a YouTube influencer for her YouTube channel named One Mom, Two Girls, Two Boys, Eight and All. She wanted to share God's provision for her life with others while navigating single motherhood. She wanted people to know that if God could provide for her, that he could provide for them too. So go subscribe to her channel. You'll get to see the banter and the familial shenanigation for yourself. At first, the banter started just between me and my mom. So check out a Vlogmas clip I pulled from her YouTube channel back in 2017 when she was trying to help me with a storage issue in my cozy little apartment. This is an idea for storage. It is. It is. I need that shelf. And I need my suitcase again. Yes, so you want to get it right now? No. Take it to your house? Mm -mm, I don't, I'm listening to Jesus. He didn't tell me yet. Um, he told me to tell you. But I don't hear it. I hear static on the main line. Back in the day, if I told my mama no, I would have got straight bust in the lip. But throw a little banter in the mix and child, miracles. Banter releases the pressure. Life can be hard, 
Decisions, hard. Money, hard. Divorce, hard. No dad in the home, hard. All that's hard. And it just compounds itself, compounds itself, compounds itself. And you feel like you're about to blow. But when your daughter picks up the little weenie dog and she just has the perfect Lion King song that says, the circle of life, you cannot take anything serious in that moment. So in that one moment, the pressure has been released and you can then again go back and deal with every single thing that you have to deal with in life that continues to try to build that pressure. So banter is a good positive thing for us. It's so good for us and allows me and my first brother to regularly process our trauma from her Corella DeVille past parenting. She captured another moment in a Vlogmas video from her YouTube channel in 2018, when me and my brother felt the need to remind my mama about her philosophy of cheering sleeping in. Let me tell y'all about our struggles and not sleeping in. Saturday morning, 6.30. Mom come barring through the door. Everybody get up. It's house clean. Open up the windows, let the Lord. God, this thinking to myself, Jesus is not awake. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is resting on the Sabbath, and we need to follow him. She's like, no, wake up, make your bed up, clean all the stuff out. No, nope, you get that done, come clean the kitchen. Wait a minute, this is not my house. You bought this house, and I just happen to be here. And leave a trail everywhere you go. I'm just living my best life. And let me tell y'all, Banter done got my mama out here with this new age parenting. She be giving my youngest two siblings time out and options. Her and my youngest two siblings regularly be discussing these options in her 18.5 foot by 13 foot open concept kitchen with gray linoleum floors, a small island, and a six-seater wooden table overlooking the yard, back in a small rural town called Leland, North Carolina. Again, here's another YouTube clip from 2022, when my youngest brother thought he could hustle my mama for a PS5. What is the problem? You not gonna be around here spending seven, $800 on some foolishness. It's not been to happen, mom. Not been, been to happen. happen. Mother Lord said, Dude, now you gonna put the Lord in? Who are you before? Wait a minute. Mom, Wait, hold on. Before you open your, your mouth life to the together. words that the Lord has said, mm. you better make sure that the Lord has said, because if not, don't lie on the Lord. Don't you do it. And Mom, if you do lie on the Lord, don't stand next to me, because I'm not gonna learn you. In history. Okay, now we now we sound a little bit. That John Smith got from the Bible, man don't work, man don't eat. That didn't say man don't work, he gonna play PS5. So back to that quote, being a mother is not about what you gave up to have a child, but what you've gained from having one. This is why it hit me like a ton of bricks. My mama, in essence, gave up her childhood, but what she gained from having a child is one hell of a story and a major shift in communication. Our familial linguistic engineering and bantering changed our family trajectory from multi-generational trauma to multi-generational joy. We all doing our right in our prospective places. So as a doctoral student in an introduction to qualitative methods course that included an ethnographic classroom assignment, 
I entered an urban continuation school in the Bay Area and observed a black male teacher bantering with black girls. It was far more than an observation. I observed the story of home. So while my body was sitting in the continuation classroom, my heart instantly went straight to my mama's kitchen in Leland, North Carolina, 2,862 miles away. She didn't show up for breakfast. She coming to get a gift. She would get a gift card to go somewhere and sit down.com. Listen, listen. So, listen. From last year. <laughs> <laughs> you guys like jokes. This was the reason I couldn't keep scrolling. Because I remembered the healing power of banter. I was so inspired, I ended up getting an A plus in that class which is cool. But what's even cooler is that I finally figured out how to make the Lelands collide. From last year, mm-hmm. you, you, you can't expect me to lose my feelings overnight. I hope you would have like, lost them you overnight. You had a whole... <laughs> <laughs> so it's like... Ah, you had 365 nights to lose them. Ah. <laughs> get so I'm out. You Ever since then, I've been obsessed with one lingering question. How does the power and genius of language humanize educational spaces for black girls? You know, the girls that look like me. Thank you, Blue Dot Music and Freesound.org. I also want to thank my Braden grantee community and Braden mentors, Jonah Willingans, Don Frazier, and Laura Joyce Davis. I'd also like to thank the entire Stanford storytelling community. I love y'all so much. I also want to thank Dr. Venus Evans-Winters, Dr. Charlotte Jacobs, and Dr. Connie Moon, who will be featured in the next episode, but whose interviews and expertise regarding trauma, black girlhood, and discipline helped me to think deeply about literally the first black girl I'd ever knew, and whose expertise helped me to realize that my research was also a little closer to home. Lastly, I'd like to thank my mom, whose bravery and maternal instinct is such that I could live to tell this story. You're an inspiration. I'm proud of you, and I love you. For everyone else, stick around for more episodes, because this is only the beginning. Thanks for listening.